Welcome to Podcast with Cooper Cherry. Today we have Nick of the Proletarian Contrarian Podcast here in Austin, Texas. We're recording recording live from downtown yeah. Austin. Hell yeah. So Nick, uh, welcome to the podcast, my friend. Thank you. It's good to be here. It's uh, I always think it's really it's really funny um, that I've met a few people just uh, from my shitty my shit posting. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, it's um, it's it's really organic. You know, it brings us together. Uh, right. Exactly. <laughs> the the cum discourse is uh, is extremely powerful. <laughs> it's, it's it's undeniably it so. Is, yeah. But uh, Nick, tell me a little bit about. So you guys, I assume you're you do some movie reviews of. And the that's the premise being that these are kind of overlooked, kind of typically somewhat <laughs> shittier quality movies. Yeah, we um we do movie reviews um with a leftist slant to it, obviously, um, of movies that are considered bad. Um that means no cult classics, no hidden gems. Um we we definitely base it off of Rotten Tomato scores, but okay. any anything that you would consider a movie you don't want to watch again, not even for like a guilty pleasure. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, what about uh, what about David Lynch's Dune? Where would that fall? I unironically enjoy David Lynch's oh, Dune. <laughs> I, I fucking love that movie as well. Yes. Uh, that's why I was curious. I was like, I'm angling for a for a guest spot to talk about Dune. Perhaps, oh, for sure. So, <laughs> yeah. I mean, most people don't like that adaptation. Um, yeah. So that would be a perfect candidate. And um, yeah, there's a lot of good stuff in there. It's uh, you. It's definitely got some. Uh, you know, you can see the seams a lot in mm -hmm. the writing, but and probably even some of the acting, but I think oh, sure. the the art direction, the costuming. The atmosphere is the really yeah, on point. Yeah. It's got such a weird, bizarro feel to it and vibe. That's yeah. what I love exactly. so much about it. Exactly, and it's that kind of thing that we look for in these crappy movies. Um, anything from really small anodyne aspects, like you were saying, set design, production design, um, all the way up to something more comprehensive, like the aesthetic of the, of the Dune movie that we both appreciate. Gotcha. Yeah. Now you've also done something that's close to my heart. You've done one on the on Swamp Thing, correct? Oh yeah, Return of Swamp Thing. Return of Swamp. Yeah, Thing. hell yeah, that was really good. I I really um one of the other benefits of this podcast is I can find, I guess you would call them hidden gems. Actually, um, these movies that people dismiss, but um I end up unironically appreciating. And Return of Swamp Thing is definitely one of those. Who who directed? The return because I think Wes uh, Craven, if I'm not mistaken, he did the original Swamp Thing the first one. film. Yes, he did. Um, and you're putting me on blast right now because <laughs> I forget. <laughs> but uh, anyone who's curious should listen to our episode. I believe it's episode uh, seven or eight, um, Return of Swamp Thing, and it's really good. And uh, you just recorded one on The Phantom Menace. We're wrapping up uh, sequel, uh, prequel month, Star Wars prequel month right now. We, um, we started with Solo. Um, it was more of a general Star Wars month, but then we did all three prequels in a row. Um, yeah, Phantom Menace is uh, officially the best prequel. I'm gonna go to the bat for that one. <laughs> <laughs> I was, yeah, uh, surprise. Uh, you've been, you're being the doors are being locked, and we're throwing you in the gulag <laughs> uh, for this for this take. I believe you meant the Rancor Pit, <laughs> <laughs> right? Oh man, we'll ha we'll have to talk about that on, on another time. Yeah, sure. But uh, yeah, I'll, I'll take I'm you. Down. I'll, I am down. I'll definitely take you to task. <laughs> Let's do it on that one. Since, or maybe I'll maybe I'll just go into it a little bit. So I waited. Like, I mean, obviously. So I was born in '82. Grew up on the Star Wars films. That sure. the Star original trilogy is essentially what got me into movies and film. Mm. As a you know, it's like probably my one of my earliest film memories is watching those and kind of falling in love with it. So, um, you know, there were rumors for years and years, like probably a good decade and a half, mm -hmm. that yep. there was going to be a prequel trilogy. Yep. And so I f I waited like as a kid. It was like my imagination. Hey man, that was me too. I'm a little younger than you, but ran like, wild. I remember that really <laughs> early period of like speculation and everything. 
So then when I when they actually released it and I got Annie <laughs> Annie Skywalker, then that just totally fucked it's my world working. up. It's working. It's <laughs> working. But uh, but anywho, um, we're here today to talk about. Uh, we both read. Uh, we ha- both hadn't actually read much anarchist actual theory. It's true. So we picked up uh, Anarchy by Erico Malatesta, um, one of the shorter of his works, and kind mm-hmm. of a, I think a good, you know, basic anarchist text to draw from. Good propaganda. Yeah, absolutely. But before we get too too into that and get into the nitty gritty, I'd like to just uh, hear a little bit about sort of what brought you to the left and mm-hmm. maybe your experiences so far and kind of what even maybe has pushed you more towards the sure. the anarchist side of the uh sure the left. yeah um i guess i'd always considered myself liberal um nominally democrat um up until i could vote and then throughout college and i would say even fairly recently within the within within the past few years i i was just progressive leaning democrat um and then it's kind of the standard story at this point that donald trump yeah yeah, the 2016 (laughs) election really um kind of sent a shockwave through everything i thought i knew um it it really was a radicalizing moment um prior to the 2016 election through the 2016 election and even up to today um i had been getting into the majority report podcast and that kind of whole little satellite of podcasts there's the mecca brooks show uh the antifada um, and also that kind of was the inroad into Chavo as well. Okay. Um, but yeah, this, this kind of, um, loose network of, of kind of what we're doing here, podcasting, um, discussion of politics in a very approachable way, um, which, which is really essential and, and kind of empirically in my experience anyway, really, um, connected connected my own personal experiences with this um more theoretical aspect yeah i think that uh for me i came to the left and anarchy in -hmm. particular through kind of an existential path yeah and like this sort of like more broader you know existential aspect of having to determine one's own life and sort of being Mm -hmm. doomed in a sense to be free to make choices well capitalism obviously i feel like constricts on the ability for us to make those choices of our own volition. And so that was kind of my like basic level sort of critique of capitalism Mm -hmm. um, from, you know, and from early on, you know, probably when I was about, you know, 20, 18, 19, 20, that era. And then, so I, you know, lived through the whole run up to the Iraq war, the 2008 financial collapse. And at that point with the sort of capitulation of Obama to neoliberalism, which I didn't even know, that what that meant at the time, but we all know. Looking it, we back just, now, we can't term. Yeah. We can can apply a term to it. Looking back at it, at it now, it's very you know, it's obvious. But at the time, you know, there was a lot of hope and and change oh, yeah. and things yeah, like that after change. the <laughs> after the horrible uh, Bush years. Yeah, and uh, so to see that kind of dashed upon the rocks like pretty blatantly mm-hmm. was really, um, I mean, it was really disheartening. And I kind of retreated out of political life. Really completely until the run up to the 2016 ele- election, and I was like, right. "Oh fuck!" It's I Satire thought it was real. <laughs> I thought it was terrible uh, before. I mean, I had lost all hope in 2008, but Trump, the ascendancy of Trump and yeah. Trumpism and that sort of fascist leaning shit, really just like, uh, you know, kind of like Immanuel Kant when he talks about <laughs> uh, being woken out of your slumbers. Yeah. Uh, I mean, nothing more striking than that. And when I saw Trump, I was like, "Holy shit!" This is like exactly what 
Baudrillard talked about. It's it really is terrifying. It um, it's kind of that that sense that that absurdist sense that like there there are these things that are forever out of your control and um, forever beyond any mechanism, any any levers of action that you can grab onto. Um, and I, I guess the more the more anarchist, the more um, libertarian leaning aspects of leftism help me cope with that a little bit um, by focusing on the individual communal level, um, by focusing on, I guess, more direct action, what we can do with into and for the people we know that does help kind of stave off some of the despair right i guess because because it is it's enough to elicit a lot of despair yeah absolutely is there any i mean did you start i mean you said you're coming from the progressive angle and you listen to majority majority reports not i mean that's quasi progressive ish mm -hmm. but what is there is maybe antifada i know they're a little bit more on the anarchist side of things is that sort of what pushed you a little bit more towards that libertarian socialist viewpoint or well I, th I think i'm still kind of um formulating my ideas um i i guess if i had to identify politically it would be just as non-sectarian leftist okay. um this 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 anarchist pamphlet was was a good um did help me channel my thoughts and kind of put put my feelings into more of a structure but um but yeah i'm, I'm not afraid to, to say that I'm, I'm still very much forming where i am politically um i don't even know how necessary that is yeah um Really right at this point, I feel like. I mean, yeah. yeah, I know a lot of people are like, you know, there's a lot of uh, dis discourse, discord. Internecine discord. <laughs> yeah, exactly, on the different sects of the left. But like, yeah. uh, you know, here in the imperial core, I think it's all kind of bullshit. Like, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, honestly, whatever bedfellows we can get. It's like shuffling whatever shit, you know, chairs on the Titanic at yeah. this point. So. Um, <laughs> which isn't to say that the, the distinctions aren't important. True. And there is value in... Um, people who identify as hardcore Marxist, Leninist, Maoist, people identify as hardcore um, anarchists. But um, for, like you were saying, we're kind of at the point where any, <laughs> I mean, I mean, I don't wanna, I don't wanna completely capitulate and completely just give in to despair, but like any leftist I can find, I'll have a lot more in common than um, any Democrat, honestly. Right, yeah, absolutely. Agreed, agreed. Um, but yeah, if you're, if you're ready to jump into yeah, let's, Anarchy by uh, Malatesta. Let, let's do this. Let's do it. This is back to school. So I think uh, for me, there were kind of three main thrusts that I thought that Malatesta focused on. Mm -hmm. um, one, and the primary, I think the meat of the pamphlet was centered around critiquing the state yes. and why the state is dangerous mm -hmm. to liberty. Um, point two was essentially a little bit of a critique of private property. Um, I think that was probably a smaller... I don't know, maybe like... Kind of sprinkled around. Yeah, sprinkled yeah. around here and there. And then third, I think... Well, I guess there's two. There was also... So critique of private property. And I think uh, maybe the third and small thing he didn't focus as much on is anarchism as true socialism and sort of mm -hmm. a critique of state state socialism. Yeah, that that's kind of the part where he lost me a little bit. Um, he, he introduces the these predicted um, critiques of anarchism. And um, I don't know if we want to, want to get into this now, but I, I kind of didn't agree with um, most of his rebuttals, the way they were formed and in, um, in, in the the counters to his imagined objections. Okay. Yeah, let's, uh, I was going to tackle the first, go through a little bit of uh, his yeah, let's go first cri sure. criticism of the state itself. Sure. And then I think wrapping up the third um the third wheel will be the sort of anarchist 
and critique of uh, of state socialist ideas. Yep. So I guess first I wanted to draw. Um, there's a quote that kind of there's a. I mean, there were so many great quotes. Yeah, I got a couple of them. Here a lot of high level quotes in the book. I mean, there's tons that were really well, you know, really good and great slogans and ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'll read, I guess, the first one and see if this is one maybe you picked up on as well. Um, and this is sort of an analysis of bourgeois democracy. Are the governors chosen from a certain class or party? Then certainly the ideas and interests of that class or party will triumph, and the wishes and interests of the others will be sacrificed. Yeah, that's... Um, if If I had to tell someone who doesn't know anything about anarchism if i had to in my own words summarize anarchism um or 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 the 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 anarchist critique of um of the state it would be that whichever class um attains power and consolidates power it it will inevitably use that in its own interests that that the the one follows follows inevitably from the other and uh, yeah and that is just a more uh poetic and elegant way of putting it but um yeah, I mean, that, that kind of sums up his objection to the state. And I think you even gave a great, I mean, that's just kind of the high-level idea. I mean, like, There's several more quotes and things that he gets into in, in terms of critiquing the state, and there's definitely um, at least four or five more that I, that I wanted to read and get your thoughts on. But do you have, is there something else uh, quote-wise, or like is there a point that kind of stands out that you wanted to dig into first? Um... I mean, I have a couple here. Let me see. Yeah, he he. There there are these two um, phrases. There's political privilege and economic privilege. Um, he political privilege is is defined as um, as the definition of power. Economic privilege is the definition of prop, of property. And <laughs> weirdly enough, I, I think those two phrases could. Um, th- this is kind of kind of a jokey jokey idea when i first thought of it but we could leverage those definitions um to convince neoliberal democrats um to see the inherent flaws of property and the inherent flaws of um of state power um the the notion that privilege which which is kind of this i guess this woke term that's in very much in vogue right now um but leveraged against um politics and economics respectively um I don't know. It, it was it was kind of strangely like this modern um, wrinkle in in um, I, f- I forget what section that was in. I think it was like in two or three. Um, but yeah, those, those two phrases just kind of stood out to me. And how do you have like a? Could you maybe point to something like how would you use that? Like, d- tell me like how you how would you approach a Democrat? Sure. With um, these ideas. Sure. Well, the the notion of privilege as like the the the, the socio. Um, the socio factors of like someone's upbringing, like racial privilege, um, like social capital sort of. Sure. Um, I think for people who have a vested interest in maintaining um, the perimeters of, of power in, in property Democrats, um, though that notion of privilege strictly th- through a sociological lens is much easier to grasp. But um, if you introduce to them the idea that property and, and the implementation and the usage of power also have very are very or run run along very privileged um lanes um i don't know that that just seems like a possible inroad yeah 
So, and that's to me like, and you know, I, I'm not one of the anarchists that really discounts all of Marx. And I think that mm-hmm. a material analysis is always is super valuable for um, exploring these things. Sure. I mean, the materialists um, critique comes up in this pamphlet. Too. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, but I think to me, what kind of stands out and it's related to that is like the, the private property scene, like we're sort of, you know, we're so, sort of born into this already existing set of property relations that is based on, you know, you know of course, the liberalism tries to say that it's, you know, due to, what is it, a merit, it's, it's all meritocracy, yeah, right? Meritocracy. But obviously that that's not the case. Um, if you look throughout history, yeah. rarely is that the case. So we're already born into an existing arrangement of property relations that we didn't vote for, we have no say in. And if you follow it back far enough, ultimately it is all arbitrary. Yeah, absolutely. That too. Yeah. yeah I mean, who owns <laughs> who owns the world? I mean, I mean, he the the Rothschilds make an appearance in this pamphlet, yeah, which sure, is yeah. kind of. Um, I did sort of feel um, just a general sense, like as much as Malatesta goes in on the state, I was like, Jesus, this is getting kind of tiresome and reminding me of like a right libertarian. <laughs> A little bit. That is one of my critiques. Um, and I, I named up the majority report earlier. And um, one of the first things that turned me on to that show was the host, Sam Cedar. He, he, one of his gimmicks is he invites libertarian right wing um, and cap libertarians to call into his show and he'll debate them and he'll just like endlessly rake them over the coals. It's, it's pretty entertaining. But um, a lot, a lot of the right libertarian uh, anarcho capitalist, um, conception of like how to how to regulate power uh who has power who how, how to resolve disputes um it, it kind of reminded me of, <laughs> of it kind of it kind of it was it was reminiscent here um the idea that like people are naturally well we'll, we'll, we'll get into that other we'll get into the natural aspect in a little bit but um yeah i, I was reminded a, a little bit of ancaps for sure i got i got that sense too but I, I mean i think you also have to sort of situate that in the historical context as well that Malatesta sure. is coming from, sure. where I don't think that, uh, I mean, was and was ANCAP really even a thing at this point? I mean, you had sort of the classical... Maybe in all but name. Right. Classical liberalism, essentially. Mm-hmm. Which, yeah. I, not, not, to harp, not to draw a strong correlation or connection between ANCAPs and, and um, in the, in the historical, historical conditions of the time, but... The notion that um, I, I guess free agents operating in um, in an ideally communal and uh, in cooperative environment is uh, it it does sound kind of utopian to me. Yeah, but I mean, well, I, I don't know if we should even get into, but it just did bring to me. I mean, I think that that's one of the more important things that I think he did sort of hit on was the nature of the human race, like our first challenge is to overcome nature. Yes. And to, in order to survive and we can't do that on our own. We can't do that outside of the social. And I thought he did a really good job of showing or, you know, a point that I agree with largely was that individual, the what's best for the individual is to help his fellow man through mutual aid. Yeah, I think um, I think even the most dyed in the wool neoliberal Democrat would agree with with that statement if if you abstracted it far enough that um, mutual aid 
is better for all parties involved. Um, well, actually, I don't know if, I, I, if, if most Democrats would agree with that. Um, but I, I think that that kind of statement, it, I don't want to say it's abstracted enough, but I, I think it, or generalized enough, but I think it's applicable enough that um, it, it can be applied in a soft way to kind of uh, neoliberal friendly capitalism. Oh, you think so? Interesting. Because I see the other side, because for me, it's like what what capitalism and, and liberalism does is it sets us against one mm. another and says that my interests are always going to be in conflict with your interests, which in a sense, under a capitalist system, mm. that is in a, that's true, like we're competing for resources and, and things like that. So under the capitalist system, there's a certain truth in that, but... From a larger standpoint, the, even capitalist economics production is already a social process that sure. gets and it gets they to try to disconnect that mm. social pro that and they try to individualize that process outside of its social context. I guess I was conflating the idea of um, th there's great emphasis placed upon uh, charity and um, placed upon becoming a whole rounded person under neoliberalism and um it, it's that it's that social, it, it's that division between social and like and, and the economic um, under neoliberalism that that kind of pushes this this quasi spiritual notion of like helping other people, but um, only after your needs are met. And I, I guess I was conflating that that with okay, what I just gotcha. said. Yeah, yeah, because my reading was it was he's more so talking about like this is regardless we all have to band together to survive. Yes, under private property that becomes um you know that Impossible. becomes yeah it becomes you wind up with an and you know a power imbalance mm -hmm. asymmetrical relations or social relations kind of you know drawing from from the marxian critique of capital there and i do think a lot of neoliberals would consider asymmetrical relationships um mutually beneficial i i, th I think they would argue that i think they would argue that um a, a corporate hierarchy um Corporate, the blending of a corporate and governmental hierarchy, um, it, it does allow for for people to it kind of like embody or enact some kind of uh, perverse some perverse sense of mutual aid. Yeah, well, I mean, whenever you're relying, whenever your system is predicated on meritocracy, mm -hmm. then yeah, definitely lend, it it, behoo oh, it it behooves you to think that way, right? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it, it it's a panacea to allow us allow you to get through the day, basically. But I mean, I think I think you and I, subjects of late capital, can realize that that I mean. Oh yeah, it's there, there's no substance to that. I'm, I'm just I'm I'm doing the Malatesta thing. I'm, oh, I'm yeah. predicting other, uh, the neoliberal attack. Gotcha. Okay. Anticipating, I see. Yeah. But uh, we'll we'll come back to that. We'll we'll circle back around. I've got another sure. quote that I wanted to uh, to discuss since he brings up ca uh, capitalist class early on here. Having secured such supremacy to the capitalist class that is no longer content to trust the support of the government and has come to wish that the government shall emanate from itself, a government composed of members of its own class, continually under its control and organized to defend its class against the possible revenge of the disinherited, hence the origin of the modern parliamentary system. Yeah, um, and I think maybe that even kind of goes into is not a nice segue actually from what we were 
just discussing. Yeah, um, I guess when he says parliamentary system, um, is that analogous to what we have in the United States today, like a, a, represent, a representative democracy? I, I believe so. I mean, I think he's probably speaking more from the direct uh, Italian sure. parliamentary experience or milieu than... Well, that, that's then, what, then capitalism, yes, yeah. or I mean, American democracy specifically. But I think this is just a larger sort of critique of bourgeois representation, mm -hmm. representative democracy, essentially. So the idea that um, I guess kind of <laughs> maintain, maintaining the lines of power is 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 predicated, at least in some in some part, upon um, fear of losing that power. My reading of this quote was more so to br he was discussing that anytime you have, and really, I guess this is a good critique of capital, that anytime you have a capitalist class, mm -hmm. they will, by nature, are going to create a government that represent, you know, reinforces their position in society, right. their position in the economy and government um, at the expense of the proletariat. And that being that being sort of a stand in here, for, he says uh, the revenge of the disinherited. Mm -hmm. So all of the the exploited classes. I th and I think we're at a point in 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 like late stage capitalism now where that's apparent e even to the politically disaffected um, people that we know. Um, the the notion that government is corrupt it, it's kind of such um, it's such a common it's such a piece of common wisdom um, that not. In, in corrupt meaning that it is interested in um one sec let me just collect my thoughts you might have to edit this part out <laughs> the idea that it codifies legislation that shores up and perpetuates capital interests um that that much is obvious even to the politically uh, disenfranchised the, the politically apathetic i mean that's why so many people don't vote they don't even see mm -hmm. democracy as a legitimate legitimate means of of expressing any sort of political will mm -hmm. whatsoever and sort of you know and the and the context we're given is like you know this is the free you know america's like oh freedom it's the land of the free and, and the home of the brave mm -hmm. But you have millions and millions and millions of people that are so totally dis suffering. Yeah, yeah, suffering and afterthoughts to the capitalist class that they don't even bother to take the time to express what little political sort of autonomy they have. And even then, whenever they are doing so, they're choosing members to rep members of the bourgeois class. Yes, because those members are the only people that can even gain. And that's, access to becoming a, a representative yeah and, and that's kind of a nifty um benefit of the of the of the stratification of um of the way our politics work right now um you have to have you you have to have wealth and free time to even i mean in most cases uh, you have to have wealth and free time to even get it, gain any kind of toehold and um that that acts as a natural um winnowing process as to who has act who who even potentially has access to the levers of power I think uh, so. There's another qu next quote that I think mm -hmm. really ties into this and um, kind of explains a little bit about, or really is a good attack on bourgeois democracy. Is 
Whether the bourgeoisie foresaw it or not, when they first conceded to the people the right to vote, the fact is that the right has proved in reality a mockery, serving only to consolidate the power of the bourgeois while giving the most energetic only of the proletariat the illusory hope of arriving at power. Yeah, and um, it's it's interesting because that, that makes me think of um, different legal challenges that suffrage has faced over, over the course of American history. Um, and... It, it it's kind of it's kind of so damning and so it's so it's so despairing because even even fighting for universal suffrage which we which we don't have right now um, so much political energy is expended or or so much energy is um, expended on gaining that kind of nominal um, nominal right to to have a say in the in the in the discourse of power. Um, but e- even even assuming we had universal suffrage um, under our current system, that necessarily wouldn't mean much more. Um, I, I don't know. I it's 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 a good distance. It's a good distancing tactic, and it's an inbuilt distance distancing tactic. Yeah, I think there's even a quote that I'll have. I'll see if I can snatch it up really quickly. Um, that kind of goes to that. Uh, let's see. I mean, this this one even fits pretty well. Such a class, like every elected body, will seek instinctively to enlarge its powers, to place itself above the control of the people, to impose its tendencies, and to make its make its now its interests predominate. Placed in a privileged position, the government always finds itself in antagonism to the masses of whose forces it dispossess disposes. Furthermore, a government with the best intention could never satisfy everybody. Even if it succeeded in satisfying some, it must therefore always be defending itself against the discontented, and for that reason must ally itself with the satisfied section of the community for necessary support. Yeah, and I think um, what's important in in talking to quote-unquote normies about this kind (laughs) of thing, um, to talking to the politically apathetic about this kind of thing, is that these tendencies happen... um, whether or not they're intended yeah um the power accrues power and power um oppresses for it for its own sake um whether or not the there's there's this potential hypothetical benevolent um governor um that the the very nature of power is is that um it 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 isn't power (laughs) unless it's oppressing some people um Yeah. <laughs> Next quote. Um, this, this, thus the seesaw game, the swing between conceding and withdrawing, the seeking allies among the people against the classes and among the classes against the masses forms the science of the governors and blinds the ingenuous and phlegmatic who are always expecting that salvation is coming to them from on high. So I think this is, you know, a real nice attack on that bourgeois democracy ideal of people anticipating you know i'll just you know i'll just go out and i'll vote for mm-hmm. someone like bernie sanders and that will that's all the that will solve everything through right you know through this representative democracy me exercising my quote-unquote political will that's all i need to do is elect the right person to achieve liberty and that's all we need rather than a bottom-up movement mm-hmm. of mutual aid and direct action I think that's an that's a it's another example of one of those um, again whether intentional or not um, tactics 
of voting of, of living in representative democracy the idea that um someone you vote for v voting is activism uh and voting as affecting change um such importance is placed upon voting even 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 today and um it, it is one of those inborn um tactics that does kind of serve as um a palliative to to um, bottom-up grassroots direct action. There, um, moving forward, so we have, I think he goes in the direction now so of, I think, kind of explaining a little bit about how, how sort of there, and we touched on this a bit earlier, about how the individuals, what's best for the individual and is what's best for the group mm -hmm. and society at large. And that sort of that cooperation, that mutual, that mutual aid idea. Mm -hmm. And here's the quote: "Man has two necessary fundamental characteristics: the instinct of his own preservation, without which no being could exist, and the instinct of the preservation of his species, without which no species could have been formed or continue to exist." Illustrating that the preservation of the species is part of the instinct to preserve itself, rather than the inverse. I think um, I think that the division between the individual and the group um, is again not intentional or, or unintentional. It does kind of serve to um, to pit them against each other. I, I don't think I, I I don't think we have to consider the needs of the individual and the needs of the group as as even separate. Right um, and the neo the neo the neoliberal project does do that um so so i think to even to even look at it that way is to assume that the that the the conflicting interest of the of the individual in the, in the group um is legitimate when it isn't so again the 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 liberal or the neoliberal ideal being that the individual that the individual and i guess it does in a sense it's like this sort of tautology like we discussed earlier in mm -hmm. that we're sort of brought up in this capitalist ideology of competition and everything is this is a set of market relations mm -hmm. and there's a winner and a loser in those in those market relations or at least that's i don't know a lot of capitalists will say no there's um there doesn't all it's, it's not a zero-sum game when it comes to to trade or when it comes to those market exchanges mm -hmm. but that, that's trying to put a, a nice face on it that that's trying to make it socially the idea of socially conscious capitalism which doesn't exist um but yeah i i i think to just to and it's difficult because so much of so, so much of all discourse is is predicated on this but like to even divide the interests of the individual or the interests of the individual against the interests of the collective to, to even to even stipulate that they are separate is is to kind of cede some ground in that in that argument. You know, it's really interesting now that you kind of mentioned that is um, I don't know if you had heard about this, but there was a, a really like a, a Randian essentially. <laughs> oh boy! <laughs> um, ended up getting I think he became CEO of Sears. Yes. Did you hear about this? And they yes. sort of set divisions of the company like they applied market forces yes. within the company within itself. departments against each other so automotive was was against home furnishing or whatever 
Um, and Sears is bankrupt now, so like, <laughs> proof is in the pudding. Which is which is pretty funny. Yeah. Um, to see that kind of played out. The atomization. And that's like just yeah. a great, I think that's just a kind of a real great, like real world example of the cooperation of all indi- of individuals is even, even within a capitalist's, even within a corporation, within a capitalist structure, there's, there still has to be some kind of cohesive, um, cohesive vision of individual and in, in collective um, interests as, as one interest. Because most, that's how most, that's how all other corporations or most other corporations are run. Because I think whenever you're, whenever you're putting people in competition with one another, mm-hmm. there is the irresistible, and because the rewards for winning the competition are so great, what that does is that incentivizes you to act ruthlessly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, and um. And that may be the most insidious aspect of, of capitalism. Well, at least beyond, beyond I think just the fundamental social relations between producers and and the and the um, I guess actually the proletariat and the bourgeoisie, that fundamental power imbalance and that fundamental exploitation and exploitive relationship that underpins the entire system itself. And I think that is an aspect where, like. A lot of capitalists don't even like they don't even recognize mm. the funda- that fundamental, very or extremely fundamental aspect of the entire system. The, in- the system is built upon that notion, but it's obscured. Sure, it's it's obscured by things like um, again that notion of like socially conscious capitalism, the idea of a, of, of a feminist CEO or of um, or, or of people of color who are on the board of directors. Um, the these token. Um, concessions to to social justice um to 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 obscure that inherent um the inherent violence here's another good quote i think and it really sort of you know he's writing that i forget when he's quite writing this in the early 20th century i believe Mm -hmm. but uh um in the present, the immense development of production the growth of human needs which cannot be satisfied except by the united efforts of a large number of men in all countries, the extended means of communication, habits of travel, science, literature, commerce, even war itself. All these have drawn and are still drawing humanity into a compact body, every section of which, closely together, can find its satisfaction and liberty only in the development and health of all other sections composing the whole. So I think here he's, I mean, it's crazy to think that he's writing this in like, the 20s the, yeah. The, yeah the early 20th century late 19th century and global capital had already almost it feels like he's recognizing the, those global capitalist forces already at that point mm-hmm. and how and you know just think how primitive it was at at that point and then accelerate it now like over 100 years later the internet <laughs> it's, it's yeah it kind of it, it kind of the internet kind of acts as a nice um a nice little symbol for how completely interconnected all this is, how, how utterly um, you change one thing and, and the, the reverberations cascade throughout um, the, the entire world. It's, and it really brings to mind, you know, you mentioned the internet, but I think even more specifically, if you mm-hmm. look at social media platforms, yes, like, oh shit, even ride sharing and things like that, it's mm-hmm. like where the actual, the users themselves 
well, at least more so on like Facebook, Instagram, all those, Twitter, the users are generating the content yeah. <laughs> for and free. Like they're doing the labor for free of creating traffic to the site and the... And that's interesting because it it is something of a natural impulse to create that content. It's something of a natural impulse to reach out and connect with people um, through words and images. Um, and that is completely taken advantage of and monetized um, by Mark Zuckerberg like exclusively. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that's... Um, yeah, it's definitely. That's like almost not quite, but socialize the losses, privatize the profits. Yes, um, it's the same general ethos kind of behind that. Yeah, and and actually, weirdly, uh, it it is kind of an interesting backdoor argument in favor of um, of anarchism because a lot of a lot of Malatesta's argument does rest upon this idea that people naturally are compelled to be like this. They they the, the natural state of humanity is to is to work with each other and for each other. Um, and, and to see the, like the, the, the infinite amount of content that is generated on specifically on social media, um, even, even when people kind of have this know that we're being duped and taken along for a ride by these, by these libertarian tech bros. Um, yeah, it's, um, it, it is a net, very natural, powerful force yeah. within all, within all of us. And I mean, obviously I fall into it too with how, <laughs> Oh, I mean, <laughs> I've, I've got over 15,000 posts Hell yeah. on Twitter. Hell yeah, and half of them are, are about cum. <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh. And what what do you think? Uh, I think uh, I had made an argument before that Twitter was like the most anarchic of the social media platforms uh, with uh, John Sichterman. I can see that. But oh, yeah. I think he, he actually came up with a good counterpoint. He was like, no, it's total. Twitter is like ANCAPism, though. It's an, like ANCAPistan. And I kind of... I, I agree m- largely. Yeah, hot, hot take. Maybe there isn't as much of a difference there between uh, between anarchism and, and ANCAP. So I disagree. I disagree. Sure. In the sense that, so it's like if you're if like you're if you're a blue check mark, if you're part of the mm-hmm. the posting bourgeoisie, we'll call them right. Then your signal, whether the whether or not your content is as valuable or desired or whatever mm-hmm. measure you're trying to use for engagement or whatever mm-hmm. um as opposed to you know being a quite a skilled poster myself <laughs> you are <laughs> not to pat myself on the back no, too much are. but I'm, I'm a pretty good poster yeah and uh you know i i i've never had a as many likes as some like person you know some real terrible per even just like a you know what i mean like look at people like Sure. Charlie Kirk or Mullen sure. Yu or like any of these total like the really bad hacks and mm-hmm. those people have tremendous audiences but, pl- on on the platform. But do not the blue check marks are they not reflective of pre existing um, cultural and social cachet? Well, yeah, I mean, absolutely, yeah, and, yeah, and that, I think that's that's largely what what I'm getting at mm-hmm. is that it's not necessarily earned. You know what I mean? A celebrity, right, even right, a minor right. celebrity, okay. can join the platform. Sure. And, and just based on their pre-existing social relations can draw an audience. Mm-hmm. But I mean, and, and for all that, there, there, there is, I mean, I guess kind of beneath the, the, the class of the blue check mark, um, <laughs> there, there is kind of a... The proletarian posters. Yeah, the proletarian posters. There, there is kind of some notion of meritocracy. I mean, went kind of came from the ether and just kind True. of shit posted his way to prominence yeah. um so yeah it, i mean it's possible it's just just yeah. like there's you know 
the possibility of being successful of within, being a yeah, yeah exactly like Oprah sure. or you know Bill Gates or well Bill Gates is not Bill Gates is a shitty example yeah, actually yeah, no, I, I, I get what you mean yeah um yeah th- yeah I think the very existence of blue check marks kind of kind of kind of disproves that especially the fact that I don't have one so you deserve one I mean but, I'm a I'm a I'm a podcaster I'm a <laughs> your your avatar the most, your the most important <laughs> the most important class of of uh, of people yes the podcasters <laughs> hell yeah oh man uh which you are also a part of so see. yeah yeah i'm i'm a, I'm a fledgling but um <laughs> i'm a class trader already to the to the proletariat <laughs> uh let's see there's one last quote i think this kind of goes um largely in in line with what we've been discussing but just just such another great quote that i wanted to share mm-hmm. in the present condition of society the vast solidarity which unites all men is in a great degree unconscious since it arises spontaneously from the friction of particular interest, while men occupy themselves little or not at all with general interests, and this is the most evident proof that solidarity is the natural law of human life, which imposes itself. I think this this quote is is interesting because um, it kind of alludes to one, one of one one of the problems I have with with anarchism as. Um, in, in, in theory and in practice. Um, I, I don't disagree with that quote, really. I, I, I'm, I'm, I follow the quote so far, but um, I don't know if bad faith actors... Um, I, I don't know how resistant or how, how durable the, the idea of, of natural natural mutual aid is is to bad faith actors people who would abuse or take advantage of of that well does that make sense yeah but i think my my reading here Mm -hmm. is was that this is pointing out a little bit and i kind of what my critique earlier where i'm talking about okay production is already a social process but that remains like that idea is even obscured Mm -hmm. right like nobody's, I don't think, By, I don't, you know, people are all like, especially particularly in America, people are so resistant to anything verging on even like social democracy and considering that socialism, like the welfare state is socialism mm-hmm. or something, right? That there's this, un- but there, the relationship that we're already, we're not functioning like, yes, you're, you're an individual going to your job, but you're already part of a social fabric of that company at sure. at minimum like at a small scale right but then largely like you you know expand that out to the entire world economy right like we are all involved everyone is already involved in a social process of production at minimum and sure. that relation and that gets so it's it's unconscious like people don't even consider it like it's are it's so glossed over i think which is an important point in sustaining the way that things power relations as they are yeah and um i i think the fact that they are glossed over it i don't know and, and maybe this is more of an indictment of my <laughs> my imagination and my my faith in in people but i i don't see how how that can be addressed the fact that the these these relationships these these notions of we we already do mutual aid we we that that is our natural well type. i, I I wouldn't say that. I mean, I wouldn't call it necessarily mutual aid. Mm-hmm. Strictly, I think that's kind of my mutual aid would be a more 
specific definition. I just think okay. just lar- backing up a step, yep. just largely we're already participating. Like it's already a social process of, you know, the people that are feeding the cows or feeding the chickens or growing the grain or mm-hmm. growing whatever foodstuffs, right? Like they're doing that for us. We're supplying them with whatever, you know, it's not as direct now because the mm-hmm. economy is so large and so abstracted, right? But it's this giant network and this giant system of not, you know, not every node is directly connected, but it is a web that we're all captured within production to keep society going, to keep everyone fed, clothed, right. with a roof over their head, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, yes. And what do we call that? That web? I mean, that would be the economy. Okay. <laughs> yeah. But I think that that's the difference, though, between the lower, sort of the, the leftist, the anarchist critique of production mm-hmm. or that, that paradigm is that it's already, it's a communal process. It has to be a communal process. Yeah. If you're an individual on your own, try to produce all of the goods and services that you need to sustain your life. You can't fucking do it. Right. You'd go down, you'd have to be like he... Malatesta frequently mentions going back to a state of animalism Mm -hmm. to survive. And I think that's an important, that's to me, that's a great critique because the way that what capitalism does is try to extract the individual from the social process and put us in, act like we're in competition with one another. And within the capitalist system, yes, we are at, at odds with one another in a certain sense, but at the larger perspective, if you zoom out to like the 10,000 feet level, it's a, it's all, it already is cooperative, right? Mm -hmm. So the capitalist class is taking advantage of an already cooperative collective system to enrich a few handful of people that own due to the private property aspect of it, right? Yeah. So the, this, this infrastructure that was, was brought up through capitalism could be leveraged or could could be could be directed in a more in a more i guess a, a less harmful way but um melitess has got another quote and oh yeah, okay. fl- flesh flesh this idea out for you yeah let's hear it they they understand also that the indispensable condition of their emancipation is the possession of the means of production mm-hmm. of the soil and of their instruments of labor and further the abolition of private property. Could you read that one more time? They understand that the indispensable condition of their emancipation is the possession of the means of production of the soil and of the instruments of their labor and further the abolition of private property. Yes, and, um, and under anarchism... Who would own the means of production, if anyone, and what, what is or is that is that conception of some of of people owning it? Is that not is that is that missing the point? Yeah, I mean, and ideally, no one owns mm-hmm. any. There is no ownership. There is no private property. Right. So that destroys the entire notion of okay. ownership. Like we're all communally like same thing as this library we're in mm-hmm. in a certain sense. Like. It's free to come here and take a. You just take a book from the shelves, mm-hmm. and then you you read it and you bring it back. Like that's kind of the base like idea. But of I see, it. But who owns who owns the library? Well, I think the society owns. The rejoinder would be the the government owns the, the library, but who is the government? Then the, well, there is no government under. <laughs> right, right, right. No, yeah, I'm, I'm just. I guess I guess the people. The people own. 
there is no ownership. The mode of ownership is like that's we're doing away with that mm -hmm. fundamental concept in an anarchist society or even just a socialist or communist society in general. Even I mean that's sure. even the vision of the authoritarians. Yes, I I think the my my stumbling block here is um, what's to prevent an entity with a monopoly on violence to take it. I mean. That is the state, and if we smash the state, what's to prevent another state from coalescing? Well, I think that's the that's the whole point of the mm -hmm. anarchist position against state power in general. You know, we discussed earlier on mm -hmm. about how even if there is, uh, you know, this beneficial, not beneficial, uh, benevolent right. set of uh, elected officials that we set in place, right? They will, by nature, they are going to reproduce their own class. Mm -hmm. um, so we have to if once if we destroy that ability to for there to be a government, there can be no. There's not an opportunity for that sort of thing to f to even generate itself. I guess I I'm just not confident in the idea of of, of removing the ability to form a gov of a government to be able to to be formed anywhere in the world necessarily at any given time. Um, e even assuming there was a vacuum of power, even assuming that we we suddenly did live um, in an in, in in an anarchist world free of government, right? Like tomorrow, um, and yeah, I, I guess that's the the trouble I have with identifying as anarchist. Um, I don't. I, I I think the primary the primary way of removing that ability of, of governments to form is is educating people. And I, I don't know how possible, like how realistic that is to educate everybody um, on 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 the theory of anarchism. I mean, you have to abolish class relation. You have mm -hmm. to abolish class, and you have to abolish property relations. But see, right, right there, the using those terms even is is alien to so many people. Oh yeah, um, I mean, and and that's that's what I mean when I say that the, the the primary task is educating people, and and that is just a monumental challenge that that even in terms of just time management i again maybe this is more reflective of my tendencies or of my um my attitudes i, I just don't know how plausible it is to overcome that um that difficulty of 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 time the problem there though is that you fall back into like if you looking at like a more of like a marxist perspective or like a marxist leninist perspective mm -hmm. where you have a vanguard a vanguard of intellectuals yeah. that's going to, um, you know, administer the worker state, mm -hmm. right? But yep. yes, that's if, <laughs> but that that's problematic. You know what I mean? Like in in sure, you know, ideally, that's that's sort of an idealist way too. It's like you have to change, you have to change the material conditions at the base of society mm -hmm. if you anticipate changing how people think. People can only like. People think the way they do because of the capitalist material relation and social relations that mm -hmm. are engendered by its very existence. Like that's why those things are so prevalent because society produces them. It's not one individual producing them. Right. It's collectively they get. That's why. Yeah. Like you had said earlier, it's like even if they're even if they're good people, you know, even if we elect Bernie Sanders. He is still, he's still trapped. He's going to be a, an imperialist. He's still trapped. Yeah, he's still trapped in the paradigm of yeah. private property mm -hmm. and statism. Yeah, and I again, I don't 
disagree with that. I, I certainly don't think that any any vanguard of any of any kind of revolutionary movement would be would be free of of um, hierarchy or or any kind of oppression. I mean, just look at kind of like the way Twitter <laughs> Twitter drama happens. But um, yeah, maybe, maybe I'm more authoritarian than I realize. <laughs> maybe oh, more of a you've, been, you've been outed, dude. Yeah. Oh man, I'm canceled. <laughs> You're uh, kicked out of the anarchist utopia, dude. I turned in my podcast card. <laughs> uh, well, hey, that's what we're here. We're here to learn and like discuss these ideas. That way, you can kind no, of figure the, out yeah, the, where this, you fall. Yeah. For sure. Now there are, you know, obviously, I think really to really tackle your questions well, mm-hmm. like I personally would, would need to delve into. There's more. For sure. There's absolutely more robust um, anarchist theory about the for actual sure. nuts and bolts of how we create that because i don't think that okay so anarchists are against government and hierarchy but there are also like there's horizontalism and there's other like there's different modes of anarchists right you know you have the anarcho i guess syndicalism and you have anarcho communism i mean you even have then even different strains like um you know the egoist anarchists which i kind of um identify with to some degree as well right I think um, I think maybe that's just where I'm at right now because yeah. I, I agree with I agree with the the notion that government inherently uh, accumulates and consolidates power and in doing so it is inherently violent it is inherently oppressive um, it, it's just the, the the response to that I guess that I'm that I'm struggling with and um, part of part of one of the things that kind of um, frustrated me about Malatesta's piece here is that there there is a piece that, that there's a point. Um, further to the end where he, he, he says something like so like critics will critics will ask how is this done how is that done well we don't have time to address that here so like but but trust me the the, the rejoinders exist and I, I, I believe they exist I believe the the tactical and strategic um, ways of, of addressing that do exist um, maybe I just need to read more theory here I've got a couple of quotes then we'll we'll circle back and see what you think after this. Sure. Anarchy as the anarchists conceive it and as alone it can be com- comprehended is based on socialism. Anarchy is synonymous with socialism because both signify the abolition of exploitation and of the domination of man over man whether mi- maintained by the force of arms or by the monopolization of the means of life. Anarchy, like socialism, has for its basis and necessary point of departure equality of conditions. Its aim is solidarity, and its method is liberty. It is not perfection, nor it is the ab- nor it is it is it the absolute ideal, which, like the horizon, always recedes as we advance towards it. But it is the open road to all progress and to all improvement made in the interest of all humanity. There are authoritarians who grant that anarchy is the mode of social life which alone opens the way to the attainment of the highest possible good for mankind because it alone can put an end to every class interested in keeping the masses oppressed and miserable. They also grant that anarchy is possible because it does nothing more than release humanity from an obstacle government against which it has always had its right had to fight its painful way towards progress. Nevertheless, these authoritarians, reinforced by many warm lovers of liberty and justice in theory, retire into their last entrenchments because they are afraid of liberty and cannot be persuaded that mankind could live and prosper without teachers and pastors, 
Still hard-pressed by the truth, they pitifully demand to have the reign of liberty put off for a while, intended for indeed for as long as possible. Yeah, maybe, maybe this is my 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 objection or my my hesitations on anarchism are are reflective of of, of the the way I was brought up, of, of the way I, I grew up in 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 the hierarchies that I that I live in. Oh yeah, I um, mean for, absolutely for sure. I mean, same. I mean hard hard same for yeah. sure. Yeah, it just um, and I think my earlier reference to bad faith actors, like my my f- my impulse isn't so much that we need the pastors and the policemen um, to to protect us or to keep us in line. My my thinking is we some not necessarily pastors and policemen, but the infrastructure of a hierarchical government does something to to incentivize bad faith actors not to take advantage of other people but see i think whenever you whenever you remove pr- the private property right. and whenever you remove government governmental bureaucracy mm-hmm. the tools to become a bad faith actor like number 1 when you remove private property mm-hmm. you're disincentivizing the I, the desire to act in bad faith. And I agree with I agree with everything right. you just said. Okay. But dis- dismantling the notion of private property, what is to prevent a a group to reinstate the notion of private property or or, or to to recreate the, the the concept of private property and to consolidate um, power that way. Well I Again, I think maybe this is a tautology, and this maybe not this. Why you're not satisfied with my responses? Once you, <laughs> like you can't if you don't have a state and you don't have private property, the ability to do so is. What's to prevent a state from arising from the vacuum of a state? Because because I, I do think people, for either well intentioned or ill intentioned, would attempt to recreate some kind of state. Yeah. I mean, that's definitely, I think, to me, that's one of the biggest problems with yeah. communism or even from the more like the Marxist-Leninist ideal is what the fuck do you do with all the people that are so drawn, like they're so entranced by capitalist ideology that <laughs> they don't want to participate in yeah. the in the new world. Like y- changing the material conditions, like that's, you have to do that first like you have to change those material relations mm-hmm. but yes what do you do with all the people that are already existing with the current set of property and social relations like that is i think one question that's not addressed very well by anybody <laughs> yeah and and i guess that's what i meant by the problem of education in in in, in the prob- the challenge of time in terms of um even engaging with people much less convincing them or or, or trying to radicalize them um, it, it, people are, ha, have been brought up in this kind of society and, and some people are, are just fanatically wedded to it. Yeah. And, um, and, and again, e- even, even talking to people using the, the mildest of terms, the most, the most conciliatory of, um, of language, um, it, it is banging your head against the wall sometimes. True. But that's also like, that's also liberalism though, right? Liberalism, mm-hmm. um, is an idealist kind of worldview where like oh it's just we'll just have the best ideas in the marketplace will win etc which obviously like that doesn't work ideas don't shape 
Like, I don't think that ideas, ideas do shape society in a sense, like in that tension, that dialectic between the, you know, the material conditions that we exist in. And then there's like a, it's like a feedback loop, like mm -hmm. the superstructure base feed, providing feedback to one another in that dialectical process. I'm not, I'm not even talking about make pro proving anarchism, like to argue in the case for it to someone and, and, and making your idea win out because it's better. Just the very idea of even introducing it to someone. Some, some people just don't care at all. And, um, and, 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 and if we're to be cooperative and if we're to um, enact mutual aid and if we're to make the, make the collective and the individual um, interests as one, I, I, I don't, that, that just seems to undercut it. Yeah. I think maybe a solution to this is like the, uh, dual power and creating extra governmental bodies that offer mutual aid outside of a state apparatus. So like if okay. we're um, m similar okay. to kind of what the DSA does with like, uh, like, you know, obviously like the taillight sure. thing is a very micro, that's an example of like a mutual aid setup, right? Mm -hmm. So what you do is you infiltrate the, or maybe infiltrate, it's not the best word for me. To I, put, think it, no, I think it you works. Like, um, you join the DSA, you influence the ideas and the direction that those people are taking. Mm -hmm. You infiltrate or, you know, join groups and you show them through your acts and deeds and i i think i think we kind of in a really circuitous way just in a really long and circuitous way just define praxis like yeah just right do, yeah do i mean praxis. ultimately yeah do practice yeah. right do mutual aid like if you if you see somebody that you can help mm -hmm. help them sure i mean and the if you're wearing a fucking anarchist <laughs> t-shirt or you have a malatesta pamphlet or something like give it to somebody i mean that's like Here's one thing that the uh, the Panthers were great about is like they yes, would, you know what I mean? Like absolutely. all the work that the Panthers did, yep. like that's great. Like the organizational tactics of the Definitely. Maoists are fucking, I'm, you know, I'm totally on board. I, I think with, I, th I think praxis in, in doing action and to, to put it in a neoliberal term, backing up your talk with action um, that that's a good way of cutting that Gordian knot of how do you convince people? Yeah, there's just 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 do it and and people respond to it. For sure. Yeah, maybe I was overthinking it. Or like direct, <laughs> I mean, direct action too. Like you can just see like those fucking people. Who, have you seen the DRS and shit that have been going on in Chicago and stuff? No, um, no. Pretty wild. What? The what? The what? Who, who's like, first? Like so, basically these, and I don't. Um, this is very broad strokes sure. breakdown in the situation, but. The cops are trying to arrest this person, and like the fucking community comes out and <laughs> like basically says no. Just, like like who like arrest just like some just random random members of the community. No, but who who are the police trying to arrest? Uh, just some some citizen. I I don't know the specifics of it. I have to and, look and, up. And they're just denying. Look it. up, yeah, no, just look up like DRS. That's videos. Kind of, that's crazy. That, yeah, that's great. <laughs> And it's in Chicago? Yeah. Okay. But I mean, it's not, I mean, this has been happening. I think it's becoming a little bit more, at least maybe publicized. Sure. I, you know, it's, I think it's really hard in our society, like, especially for us, like we've grown up in this milieu of mm -hmm. social media, et cetera. Like, it's hard to know, was the world, and this is kind of my hypothesis, is the world was always fucking crazy and insane, but communicate, we just, didn't, we just didn't know it because yes. we weren't, like, we didn't have... Yes. instantaneous <laughs> communication so we didn't have the ability to know how crazy shit was absolutely um yeah i, I agree 100 percent. i i'm not gonna say that the world's better because yeah. of the internet but um 
we're we're all certainly much more aware of everything um, of of the existing violence that has. Yeah, I mean, it's like yeah. the, it's a dialectic too. It's like it's better and it's worse simultaneously. <laughs> yes. yes, like there are certain there are there are costs with every like technological advance. Yeah. That are often unforeseen and unanticipated. Except podcasting, that's just <laughs> completely good. <laughs> I mean, kind of, but then you have Joe Rogan. I mean, you have oh yeah, yeah, you have somebody awesome like myself, and then you have somebody like Joe Rogan who is platforming Dave Rubin and right. fucking Jordan Peterson. So right. it is both. I don't know. Trying to, and maybe that's like you have to think dialectically, yeah. as opposed to. I mean, maybe that's a, a good lesson to take. Is like. The idealist view is that there is, or like the liberal view is there's one base that mm -hmm. you draw your conclusions from, or like you build everything from a starting point. Whereas like dialectics is more so you're engaging with the world as it exists mm -hmm. and you're going, working towards creating a... Um, a synthesis. Yeah. Yeah. And I, okay. I have a difficult time with this too because I'm coming from a... Judeo-Christian, you know, evangelical right. worldview and background. So it's easy for me to slip into that sort of idealist notion that there, oh, has, sure, there has to be like a, a universal signifier for us to build our entire system upon, right? Sure. As opposed to like looking at things as they exist. And I think that's points to the brilliance of, of thinking dialectically. Yeah. And um, yeah, Which I, I have no authority on either. I won't sure. claim. I still I need to get somebody to come on and really delve into dialectics with me sure um yeah i i come from a similar similarly um religious background to some extent um and i mean for for all the crap for all the deserved um crap that the new atheists get um there there is some kind of there there is value in disrupting that um judeo-christian worldview oh, fuck yeah um that e even the, even the irreligious grow up with um whether without confronting it um so yeah, that that I, I I do have some kind of some kind of fondness for the the Christopher Hitchens of the of the world even. Yeah, because I mean, if you think about it, so much of what capitalism is based on are notions that are in the Bible in a large sense, like mm -hmm. the viewpoint of the world, the earth, animals, etc. Being what is man, man has dominion. Like it's separating yeah. man from nature fundamentally and yeah, the, raising man above nature alone is a dangerous concept because then if nature is just something to be exploited right yeah and that's a fundamental aspect of your belief system then you and you're building a, a belief system in society and everything is built on that idea that the world is just out there for you to plunder that's why we wind up with fucking ecological collapse right right as opposed to you know something like native american some native american tribes that have a more um you know less i guess extractive less atomized less um less hierarchical to to some degree i mean some of like yeah i mean certainly they're you know they're hunting etc but yeah. they're like doing it responsibly without this sort of this rapacious um need for producing surplus right sure. like that's the danger of sure of capitalism is there always has to be this surplus system or surplus or the notion of surplus yeah yeah Versus like reinvesting things, you know, and that's all tied into profit motive, et cetera. But so like that's just one element of where the fundamental Christian uh, theology is dangerous, right? 
setting man out above and outside of nature. And um, there, there's that that image. It's it's the I think it's called the great chain of of being or something. And it it, it literally is the hierarchical uh, arrangement of God, angels, um, and then king beneath beneath the angels, and and then the and then people, and then beneath that, nature is further subdivided into animals, plants, minerals, like rocks. It it gets it's it's kind of weirdly very specific and um yeah i don't know the the atheism has its place in in revolutionary discourse oh yeah i mean i believe i mean you have i agree that you have a lot of people shitting on atheists and whatnot and yeah it's like the fucking edgelords on r slash atheists from that from like 10 years ago yes we've all we were there we were all there right (laughs) (laughs) however yes like there i i mean i agree that all religion is bad <laughs> i i agree to an extent um i there there is some there have been religious movements in religious sects that have done a lot to liberate people um historically over the years um i mean you have what is it uh what's the theology like liberation, liberation, liberation theology. theology in south america prominently um I don't know different different strains of even evangelical Christianity in in the U.S. South have um, have have historically done a lot of uh, very legit organizing and um, so I don't want to I don't want to throw it out totally um, from a historical context but I, I think at this stage in human development um, it, it it just seems like an inherently flawed institution um, despite whatever good it can do yeah I'm trying to think of another great of like real example um i guess though too like you can obviously see patriarchy is already inscribed into the Mm -hmm. christian doctrine or really whatever yeah christian in the relationship between man between adam and eve Mm -hmm. and so forth and like eve is sort of created as a companion afterthought yeah (laughs) right exactly which obviously like that lends itself to patriarchy and exploitation of of females and reproductive labor and all that kind of shit too um, my, my background is primarily Catholic, so I, that, that's the, that's the area I'm most knowledgeable about. Um, but it, it, it's kind of crazy cause it, it's so all encompassing, um, for, for millennia that the Catholic church was the, the leading, uh, intellectual force, um, in science and art and yeah. in literature and everything. Um, it, it, it truly was an all encompassing, um, narrative through which to view reality. Um, and, and that is inherently oppressive just, just definitionally. What's super interesting, and I don't, I'm not well enough informed on this to speak to the specifics of it, but mm-hmm. I think that Augustine, Saint Augustine in particular, yep. I, did, I believe he did confessions. Yep, was yep. his kind of big work. But I think people like that, these biblical scholars really drew upon a lot of the Greek philosophers. Oh, absolutely. And ideals, yeah. and like incorporated that, and that got mixed up into. Yeah. Christian theology over the course of the centuries and so forth, especially considering how revolutionary um, the early Christians were to the Romans. They 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 were an emancipatory kind of like kind of kind of almost doomsday cult kind yeah. of kind of thing. And um, once it got more established, um, once it became more of a state religion, um, it it drew upon that that Western that flawed Western tradition, that flawed Western heritage. The, the the classical intellectual heritage. I'm trying to think what else. Like, I mean, obviously the old Old Testament God is pretty fashy. He's pretty fashy. Um, I I think there is a case to be made that 
that is rooted in the materialists um conditions of of when it when this stuff was being written oh yeah i mean um, absolutely bronze age sheep herders of course have very strict um traditions regarding menstrual cycles and, and reproduction <laughs> no, like literally yeah. that's, that's what it's from right um and and that's arguably why jesus in the new testament is so much it is a radical departure from the the fashy sky sky emperor of the old testament that would smite you like that would smite you if you if you <laughs> masturbate incorrectly yeah. turn turned you into a pillar of assault yes. if you look back at yes and and what's confusing about all this stuff is is there is very strong um metaphysical and, and poetical uh sentiment kind of woven into everything um so you, you kind of can't take it too literally but you kind of can while you recognize that these 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 are stories being retold and i don't know it, it, it's I could, I could do a podcast on religion that would be my yeah. <laughs> that would be my forte well, hey we can we can do one sometime mm, we should can't compare or contrast your experience on liberation theology or, <laughs> i mean i don't know much about liberation theology i suppose i could read up on well, it yeah, that's what I'm saying. but i think comparing and contrasting your experience with the catholic church and my experience because i'm like so i was raised southern baptist right you told me that yeah that <laughs> yeah we we should talk about that that there i bet there are a lot of similar similarities and a lot of differences too yeah that would be interesting it's interesting too like in a sense the the catholic church was all about the hierarchy like the the priests and yes. the priests uh, the church bishops cardinals pope etc yeah. and then you have uh, it's interesting like material analysis of this it's like yes only like later on whenever you get the advent the invention of the printing press that everyone can then cheaply own and read their own bible and yes. have a personal relationship or quote unquote personal relationship much more personal with god and then you have the reformation right Mm -hmm. and then you have um, which only like that's such a great like example of why materialism is such a great way or such a great tool for analyzing history yes the problem is like what predictive powers does it have like that's something that always comes into question right yeah it's I think at the very least, being aware that you you can view current events through a materialist perspective, it, that that is something of a benefit, even even assuming that predictive, you, you couldn't predict anything with it. Yeah. Um. Just just having having that knowledge that the, these material factors do influence us in some way. Um. That knowledge is useful. We've got a f- we've got a few minutes. Um. Do you want to go ahead and just uh, plug? Okay. The podcast. Let us know, like social media links, where we can find you. Sure. Um, all that good stuff. Your own, you know, whatever you want to plug for us. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, thank you. Uh, yeah, pro- the proletarian contrarian. Um, we are on Twitter, Facebook, SoundCloud. Um, we, I'll put links in show notes. Definitely be sure, sure. to send me. up, you know. Sure. Yeah, I, I believe our Twitter is at proletarian c. Um, I believe our SoundCloud is uh, prolcon. Um, yeah. Again, we we. We watch intentionally bad movies. We try to find the good parts of them. We try to uh, look at these good and bad aspects through a leftist lens. We um, we try to try to find individual workers of note um, on each episode. People who, if we really appreciated the sound design, we give a shout out to the sound design people. If we appreciated a small bit actor, we give that bit actor a shout out. Um, and yeah, we are. Um, we eventually do plan to have some guest hosts on in future episodes. I believe. Tentatively, we have July slotted out as a as guest guest host month. Um, so yeah, I'll be coming back. Yeah, I'd love to uh, love to come out check it out. I actually, so I do. I'm pretty interested in movies and storytelling. Excellent. I've done a little bit of 
like I've done some of my own shorts and it's definitely something that I've like mm. got some experience, like actual doing some PA work here and there. Nothing like, sure. Nothing like on a real commercial, like huge shoot or anything, mm-hmm. but I've got a little bit of production experience. Um, I definitely like voraciously consume TV and movies and, and always have. And so Good. I'm very <laughs> much always the, those are things I'm always analyzing and I've had several, like I've done probably like at least 12, 14 episodes on films. Um, I did right. a best film series. Um, I've looked at like RoboCop. Oh, it's yes. probably it's one that... Eerily prescient. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah, seriously. Pretty much all Verhoeven. Um, so I've done primarily like some my favorite movies, um, but then I have had a friend that I've done those with. So not everyone is is my choice. <laughs> So don't judge me too hard there, but uh, let's see. We've got a. We'll probably go ahead and, and close out the podcast now. But uh, you've already thrown out your stuff. Uh, if anybody is still listening to this episode, <laughs> keep in mind. Which you all should be, right? I have a uh, have started a Patreon yes. for the podcast. Awesome. Look me up at a. It's a. I'll just throw the link in the show notes if awesome. you want to contribute to the show. That'd be amazing. Um, also, do have Twitter and. Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram right. podcast CO Cooper Cherry. Uh, look me up, check me out. I'm always posting memes on <laughs> on the uh, Instagram page. Damn fine memes. Um, if you're slightly more daring, you can follow me on my shit posting account, which is <laughs> at Anarcho Muadab. And uh, that is going to close out the episode for the week. Nick, thanks so much for joining me. Thank you for having me, Cooper. I really enjoyed it. Absolutely. Anytime. And uh, this is Podcast with Cooper Cherry, signing off.